This morning we're continuing our series in Ephesians. We'll be in Ephesians 2, so open up your Bible. We've got a lot of work to do in those first 10 verses this morning. If you have your Bible, go ahead and open that up. I don't want you just to trust what I'm saying up here. I want you to see what I'm saying is from the Word of God, all right? And, and we began this Ephesians series a couple weeks ago, and um, Pastor Hunter made a pit stop last week just to talk about suffering a little bit, right? And, and that's unique, because I just told you there's been a lot of suffering that's even happened in this past week. So that was really prophetic in, in a different sense. And if you missed that, if you missed um, his message from last week, you will do yourself good to go back and, and to listen to the podcast or to check out the video online. Make sure not to miss it. But today, uh, Ephesians 2, you know, we heard Pastor Hunter preach a couple weeks ago about how much grace is in Ephesians, especially in the first three chapters. We just see grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. We see how God lavishes us with his riches. But in the beginning of chapter 2, the first three verses, they're a little dark. All right? And, and I just want to say, hey, um, we're going to go there today, okay? We're going to sit in those three verses of chapter 2 because uh, we kind of, as the church, I want us to realize how lost we were before Jesus. It's important that we realize how lost we were before Jesus. And, and I don't want to just wallow in, in self-pity, but I, we're going to end up landing on grace. But hey, church, today we're going to go over some tough things, but it's for our good pleasure. And let me just put my cards on the table here. If you're an unbeliever, if you're not sure why you're here, you kind of ended up at church, you're not into the Jesus thing, maybe you hate God, I want to put my cards on the table and tell you that I'm going to do my best up here to elevate Christ to the highest so that you see him as beautiful. Okay? There's no secrets here. Okay? Because, and, and the cool thing about that is, like, I can do that, and I'm no better than you. Like, I have been just as lost as you are right now. And the only credit I have to give is to God himself because he's the one who saved me. So, friends, I submit to you this morning, it's important that we realize what God has saved us from in order to see the beauty of what God has saved us to. Who has heard, if you've been around church for a while, you've heard this, by grace you have been saved. Who's heard that? Raise your hand. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah, cool. A lot of us. Even if you haven't been in the church, you might have heard that. But that only carries weight when we realize what we are saved from, when we realize that without Jesus, we are going nowhere fast. Because here's the thing. It's our natural bent, it's our natural tendency to think that we have it all together. Am I right? Like it's our natural tendency to be like, you know what, we are good people. I've heard this a million times, I'm a good person. I even say this about other people, oh, that, that's, a good, that's a good man, I like him, you know? It's our, our, our natural tendency to think that our ducks are in a row all the time. You know, we, we see this when we hear bad news, right? We hear bad news and, and we say, oh, I can't even believe this. I would never, I could never imagine doing such a thing. And we put ourselves in this uh, element of I am good. It's the people out there that are bad. I'm, I'm good. It's the people out there that are the bad ones. So, so we blame other nations. And with our sin-sick minds, some of us blame other races and, and religions. And you know what? We, we get our houses and we lock them up. And we don't just have the lock on the door. We also have the chain up top. And we buy a Sloman shield to protect our home. And hey, 
truth here, your home doesn't actually light up blue, all right? Is that the Sloman Shield where on the commercials it all lights up blue? Maybe I'm wrong, all right? But, but we get a guard dog, and we put beware of dog on the back fence, and meanwhile it's a corgi who can't tell his tail from a burglar who's coming in the house. But we think ourselves are good. We think the people out there are bad. I mean, just think about, if you think about somebody on the opposite side of the political aisle, you are going to categorize them as good like you or bad like the rest of them. I mean, just ask somebody right now what their opinion is on gun control, and you're going to lump them into you, you being good in your opinion or bad on the other side of things. When we have relational issues, it's always the other person who's the problem. When we grow up and we're jacked up from our parents raising us, they were dopes. When we don't like our job, then our boss is a jerk. When we can't keep a relationship for more than three days or we can't get our marriage together, then our our ex was crazy. We always identify as the good person. Even in movies, even when we read books. In movies, we're the hero. In books, we're the protagonists. We're always the good ones in our mind. It's our, it's our natural tendency to think this way. And, you know, as I was preparing for this, I was kind of thinking through this and evaluating some things a little bit. And I, I remembered this story from fourth grade, all right? And it's kind of a, a weird thing to remember. I don't even know why it was in my head. And, and last night when I was preaching, a couple of people laughed. And, the, you know, uh, I saw them. And I'm like, I realize I'm closer to fourth grade than you are, but I'm still surprised I remember this, Okay. And uh, to, to give you some insight on that, fourth grade was when 9-11 happened for me. I was in fourth grade, and, and um, 9-11, 2001, I was sitting in Miss Arluna's class. And Miss Arluna was a tough teacher. She kind of, you, you don't mess with Arluna, right? I, I got a lot of talking, talkings to from Mrs. Arluna and my parents because she called them regularly, all right? But... Once a week, we would always uh, talk about the current events that were happening at, at that time. We'd bring in an article from the newspaper, and then we'd just have open discussion in fourth grade, all right? And it just so happened that that day fell on September 12th, that we were going to bring in articles and talk about what had happened. Well, obviously, we kind of disregarded any article that wasn't about um, the attacks on, on the World Trade Centers in, in Pennsylvania and also in D.C. We, we were just talking about those things. And I remember I raised my hand, and in my little self-righteous fourth-grade self, I, I said, you know, no way would I ever allow that to happen if I was in their shoes. If I was there, I would have stopped everybody. I would have, I would have gotten all of the people who were trying to hijack those planes, who were trying to hurt other people, and I would, have, I would have held them back. I would have did all I could to save them. And my buddy from the time, uh, he's my best friend. His name's John Nelke, all right? And uh, he, he gave me a little fourth-grade retort, right? And, and he, he turned to me, and he said, and I remember this. He said, Rich, if you were them, you would have done exactly what they did. Now, now, bear with me, all right? Put your nationalism aside and bear with me here, okay? His fourth-grade diagnosis was profound. His fourth-grade diagnosis was, was profound because, Christian, listen, I tell you this, and this is good news, this isn't bad news, but you are not the hero. We are not good. 
Christian, the only good we have is in Jesus. He's the one who is good. And this morning, I want us to reorient ourselves, reorient our, our view of the gospel this morning. And C.J. Mahaney speaks to this in a quote that I'll have up on the screen when he speaks about the story of the cross. He says this, Identify most with the angry mob screaming, crucify him. That's who we should all identify with. Because apart from God's grace, this is where we would all be standing. And we're only flattering ourselves to think otherwise. Unless you see yourself standing there with the shrieking crowd, full of hostility and hatred for the holy and innocent Lamb of God, you don't really understand the nature and depth of your sin or the necessity of the cross. Church, we so quickly think that if we were there, if we were at the foot of the cross, we would climb up and and take Jesus down and try to save him. But the thing is that we are wicked, we are broken, and we need to tremble at that. And and by trembling at that, we, we need to realize what we are saved from and that we can't save ourselves. Because if we could save ourselves, if there's any good in us, that gives us the potential to be able to save ourselves. And if we could save ourselves, what kind of Savior does that make Jesus? No Savior at all. So this morning, here's the plan. We're going to look at Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 10. And those first three verses, they're dark and they're hard. But we're going to sit in there for a little while. And then the last six, guess what? We're going to land fast and furious, but we are going to land on grace. Because this morning, guys, I I was talking to my wife this week. I'm like, honey... Man, I'm, I'm a little nervous about this weekend. Like, there, there's so much wrath. We're, we're going to be talking about sin, and I just feel like I'm not the hellfire and brimstone guy. Like, I, I don't want to just sit in that forever, but, but I know we'll land on grace. I don't want to be pessimistic. I don't want us to wallow in self-pity, but I want to point us to the right diagnosis. Because, hey, without the right diagnosis, we're never going to get to the right remedy, ever. And let me just say that as much as we are going to talk about sin and brokenness and and how much you may not be able to satisfy yourself in this life without Christ, let me just tell you, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter how sloppy you are, no matter how much you can't get your act together, we're going to bring this baby home and land on grace because grace has come. Grace has come. Church. We're sitting in his grace right now. Unbeliever, person who's not following Jesus, there's grace for you. There's grace for you. So let's pray before we dive into the text. God, we give this to you. Lord, we ask you to, to return it to us, Lord, and fill our hearts with wonder and amazement, Lord, at who you are, God. But Lord, also, I pray this morning, you give us a right view of ourselves without you, so that we may gaze upon your wonderful, glorious mercy towards us. Help us to be in awe this morning, Lord. And I pray that you bring people to yourself this morning who have never submitted their lives to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10, friends, it'll be on the screen, but if you have your Bible following along, I'm reading from the English Standard Version this morning. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body, the mind, and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. 
kind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He says this again, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So this starts out, friends, the first four words in in verse 1. It says, and you were dead. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. This is a hard pill to swallow. Church, we were dead. We were dead. Let's break these three words down for simplicity's sake. We, me and you, the person you see in the mirror, you, me, we were, okay, were is a, a what, what kind of tense is that? Past tense. Woo-hoo-hoo, rocking it. All right, cool. Were is past tense. All right, so, so church, this is, this is beautiful, this word here. We were dead, okay? We're, and I'm going to just say, for uh, the sake of not causing any confusion, this morning, I'm going to kind of bounce between we were and we are caught up in sin. Believer, you're, not, you're no longer dead, but, but we're still entangled in sin, and we're going to have to work through some of that this morning. All right, so, so just to let you know, we're going to be battling with our imperfection until the end, and God will fully perfect us in his second coming. But believer, we were dead. That means not alive, unresponsive, completely, utterly stopped, and at no point of return. There isn't a possibility of being kind of dead. Like when something is dead, it is, it is fully dead, and we were fully dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, dead set in our opposition of God, fully stuck in our rebellion against him, separated from God altogether. We didn't see the need for him because corpses can't think straight or at all, right? We didn't see the need for him because we were dead, and we couldn't realize even that we were dead and we needed more John Stott says this, believer, this is important to realize. This is how I, I want to not cause confusion because so often we can kind of fall into, well, some people have it together. Some people are doing okay. But John Stott says this, we should not hesitate to reaffirm that a life without God, however physically fit and mentally alert a person may be, is a living death. And those who live it are dead even while they're living. Believer and unbeliever, wherever you're at, like, don't be confused. Don't be confused. As as much as you have your life together, as much as your job's going good, as much as you just got a raise and things are going well and the income is flowing, if if your marriage is good, if the kids are healthy, if you just got that new car, if if life is smooth, if you just graduated summa cum laude, if, if everything is going well, my friend, without Christ, we lack everything. We lack everything. We are fully dead. And it's because pre-Christ, we believed that our ways were better. We believed that we knew better. We believed that we had it all together. And we made ourselves God. And we gave in to our own sloppy, warped version of pleasure, thinking that we alone could satisfy ourselves. We alone could fill this God-sized hole in our heart and make things better. 
we remember that, that sin originated in Genesis 3. The fall of mankind. Everything was perfect up until this point. And God places Adam and Eve in, in the garden in his beautiful creation. He says, guys, enjoy this. This is for you to flourish and for you to love, to enjoy. And he says, there's just one thing. There's a tree, that tree in the center. Don't touch it. Don't touch that tree. Everything, everything is yours. Don't touch that tree. Touching that tree is going to lead to death. It's going to stop you from flourishing the way that I've intended. Then Adam and Eve are rolling around the garden, and, and, they, and they roll past the tree, and, and the serpent, the, the evil one, entices them. He says, come on in, and he starts to question what God had to say. He's not even outright about things. He's just literally that. He's a snake. He says, you know what? You're not going to die. In fact, you know, God forgot to tell you this. Like, you'll become more like God if you eat from this tree. And he brings confusion and he draws these thoughts into their minds. And Adam and Eve buy into it. They give themselves away to this brokenness, thinking they'll be satisfied, and they fall flat. And ever since Genesis 3, my friends, this is how we are born. We're born into thinking that we can satisfy, thinking that we can do it on our own. Verses 1 through 3, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in what you once walked. When we give ourselves to these things, we're following a few things. And Paul talks about that here. He talks about that here. He says, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. When we live apart from Christ, we fall into these three things. We fall into following these three things. And one of them, let's break them down, is the world. When we follow the world, when we give, us, give ourselves to the world, church, we may be giving ourselves to the world now, even if we're believing in God. God's freed us from that. But here's the thing. When we give ourselves to the world, we're held captive to the social value system of the present evil age. We're influenced by what the world has to say, what the world thinks. That's where we kind of hang our hat. I just did it. I just did it. I told Hunter, I said, brother, I'm going to say one of your phrases from your podcast one time when I'm preaching, and I just did it. Don't tell him. We're not using this recording for the podcast. Don't tell him that. But we're so influenced by this world, and we don't even know it. We can't even think for ourselves. We don't even realize that Romans 1 tells us this. The unrighteous suppress truth. And whatever they think, that becomes the ultimate truth. They let their feelings dictate what they think and how they react. They're owned by the system that they're brought up in. Their genetic makeup, their, their culture, their so, social circumstances. All of these things drive how they live their life. And the world says, you know what? This is how you make it. This is how you satisfy the heart. Just gain some more power. Gain some more power. You know, get, increase your status. Make it better. Get a better career. Keep moving on. Climbing up the corporate ladder. Become more wealthy. Get more money in your bank account. And you will finally calm down and have everything you want. You know, have more leisure activities. Just take one more vacation to make yourself feel good. Give yourself away uh, to other people physically. 
and keep doing that and maybe choose different people just to fill that gap in your heart. Seek more pleasure. Get better education. You know what? Get married. You know, and now it's time to have a family. Have some children. Not just one, but two. We just, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We give ourselves to these things because we want to try to fill the hole, to fill the issues in our heart. We give sacrificial effort to all of these things. We pour our lives into these things. They consume us, and they all fall flat and don't satisfy. Every single one of them. When we give ourselves away to the world, when we follow the world, we are slaves to how we've been raised, to how we've been educated. This is often how, how the category that teenagers are put into. Teens aren't the only ones driven by peer culture. It's broken people of this world that are driven by peer culture. Well, believer, this is where we were. And God's grace has freed us from this. But not just following the world, but also following the prince of the power of the air, the evil one. This is talking about Satan. My friend, Satan deceives, and, and he is still a snake. He's smarter than you think. We may not like him, but he's, smart. he's a smart dude. The devil's cunning has a way to kind of exploit goodness in this world for his own deceitful, woeful plunder. Follow me here, okay? Like, the devil is the one who is confusing evil for good, disorienting everyone. That is why, like, when we go and look at the world from a Christian worldview, there are some people calling things good when we're like, wait a minute, that's not good. That doesn't honor the Lord. That's not good. The devil, in his sneaky ways, is actually knitting just enough good with evil to push the world forward. Like, think about that. Like, if the devil wanted to just give ourselves to just evil, we'd all end up just, like, killing each other, and the world wouldn't continue. But he lets good slip in there just enough so that we can continue to go around this life for the world to spin, and he could lead us into misery more and more and more. This isn't an overstatement. I know, I'm getting tired of talking about this, too. We're almost to grace, but this is a reality. That is who we follow before Jesus. But church, it's not where we are today. God's freed us from this. And the third thing that we follow before Jesus, that we give ourselves to, this one's eternal. This one isn't external. This one isn't Satan. This one isn't the world. This one sits right within us. It's our own flesh, our own desires, our own passions. Sin isn't outside of us. Brokenness isn't something we find. Like, we are sin. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We were born sinful. It's not like, you, we hear this phrase, I heard this from Mr. Avery before we got started. We hear this phrase of, oh, innocent children. Got to protect innocent children. yes. That's good and right. But the thing is, if we look at this from a biblical worldview, children are born marred by the fall of man. Like this week, something new happened for me and my wife. I was there with my daughter. I, I gave her some, some pears for breakfast because she loves pears. I hate pears. She got that from her mom. I don't like pears at all, but, but she loves pears. All right. 
cut up some pears, put them in front of her, and, and she loves to just take them and hold them out and drop them. So we're trying to, you know, gently teach her not to. So what we'll do is, is we'll, we'll just go up to her and say, Kaya, you know, we'll, we'll take her little hand and we'll look at her in the eye. No, we don't do that. And <laughs> this day, Kaya, I went to grab her hand and she gave me a grunt and she swatted at me. That's a first for me, all right? I'm a young parent here. I was like, whoa, okay? But here's the thing. My little one-year-old daughter, like nobody taught her that. Nobody taught her to get angry and to swat at something when she's not happy about it, okay? Like she doesn't see that in the house. I don't hit my wife. My wife doesn't hit me in front of her, all right? (laughs) But seriously, like nobody taught her this but she is a broken little girl. She's adorable, and her cheeks are so cute. I'm infatuated by her. But she is sinful and in need of Christ and lost without him. And my friends, it's all of us until we know Christ. We're going to continue to give ourselves to all of these things, all of our desires, thinking that they will fulfill us. We'll continue to give ourselves to pornography and to pixels on a screen that move just in the right way and think that that is going to be good for us and we are really going to get off to this and we're going to be good. We're going to continue to give ourselves to laziness, to selfish luxury, to attention-seeking, to self-glorification. Whatever makes me feel good, I'm going to give myself to it to try to fill this God-sized hole in my heart. And it's going to fall flat Christian, good news. We are freed from this. God's grace, God's grace frees us from this. This is where we were. We follow these things, the world, the devil, our own desires, and they fall flat. And I sit with an, enough unbelievers to, to hear them almost saying, like if I was sitting here and having a conversation with somebody, somebody I could almost hear them say, but, but Rich, life for me is good. I'm not hurting too much. There's no problems in my life right now. I don't know what the issue is. I'm going to keep living the way, you know, you kind of found your way to live. They're kind of hinting at pluralism, right? You found your way to live. You found your way to gain fulfillment. I'm finding mine. And let me just say, I always say to them, hey, you know what? You're right. God's common grace, you get to enjoy God's good gifts to us. You get to enjoy the good food he's given us. You can cut into the same medium-rare steak, blackened, beautiful, maybe a little bit melted blue cheese on top, and enjoy that just like I would. You could sit around the table and eat that steak with good friends and enjoy their company just like I would. You can delve in, into marriage and have this quintessential relationship uh, that, that, is, that we're going to see here on earth. And you could even enjoy the physical act of sex just like a believer would. But let me tell you what. You will never enjoy it in its fullness apart from Christ. Ever. You might get a taste of the goodness, but you're not going to see that goodness in full because the goodness lies in Jesus. And as believers, we see God as supreme and we see his gifts that sit under him as avenues to glorify him. But uh, but unbelievers, those who, who don't believe in him, they elevate these gifts to supreme. 
and they'll never enjoy the fullness of them until they do through the lens of Christ. Those who don't know the Lord, where we were, we were like rats on a wheel. We keep, kept striving to make it before Jesus, opposing him in the process. And the Bible says that we are, verse 3, children of wrath because of that. Let me just pause here for one second. I'm going to pause. I want to ask two questions, and then we're going to land this thing. Okay. Church, we need clarification on this. This isn't just for the unbeliever in here. We need clarification on this, all of us. Two questions. Why is sin so bad, and what's the deal with God's wrath? So number one, why is sin so bad? Why does it lead to death? What's the big deal? Well, let me just say, we were created in the beginning for Christ-likeness. We were created to dwell in that garden with Adam and Eve and enjoy full open access to God himself and a perfect world. That's how God intended it to be. That's what was going to lead to our flourishing. But sin entered in it, and sin is anything opposing God's design for flourishing. Sin is what actually hurts us, even though we don't understand it. When we turn away from the source of life, capital S, source, we're talking about God. When we turn away from the source of life, which is sin, we are turning away from the source from which we obtain life's joy, meaning, satisfaction, and hope. And this, in turn, makes us children of wrath. We think of this word wrath, we we think of people like like Nero and like Hitler and like Kim Jong-un just kind of sitting there with their power. Wanting to pour it out on whoever opposes them. But here's the thing. God's wrath is a different story. Why, why wrath from God? It's because God hates. The Bible says, if hate's not a good word for you, the Bible says he abhors what damages his good world. He's not having a temper tantrum. He's not this cosmic baby who's losing his temper. N.T. Wright says his natural reaction to everything that corrupts his wonderful creation is his wrath. And if God doesn't hate what hurts his children, what kind of God is he? Right? Like if he doesn't hate what hurts his creation, what kind of God is he in the first place? Man, he wouldn't delight. He wouldn't be a God who delighted in his creation. He'd be a God who didn't care about it. But he does. And God's wrath continues today. You get so many questions, especially in a pastoral position, or if you're a believer, well, was that storm God's wrath on this nation? Was, was this in my life because, because uh, God is pouring his wrath out on me? God lays out his wrath very simply here in Romans 1. <clears throat> 1 verse 24 and 25, he says this, Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their flesh, excuse me, lust of their hearts for impurity to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. God's wrath poured out on those who opposed him is God pretty much saying, you know what? Go ahead and indulge in what you think will satisfy because it's not. It's ultimately going to hurt you, leaving you unsatisfied. And his ultimate wrath is coming. We don't like to talk about that. It's a scary thing, and it should be. We don't, want, we don't want to part in that. We don't want to be eternally separated from God. But Mark 9, 48 says that he will ultimately pour out his fury that is eternal on those who disobey him and never follow. This is a reality. 
before Christ. Like, this is where we were. My friends, some of you are sitting in this reality. Who's sick of talking about all that nastiness? Right? Like, without Christ, we are doomed. Without Christ, there's no hope. I'll tell you what, we can get caught up in the judgment. We can get caught up in the nasty. But as Christians, God's called us to get caught up in something more beautiful. Richard Koken says this. He's a scholar and pastor. When we recognize the true horror of sin and unrepentant hatred for God, we will marvel not at the horror of hell, but at the blessing of heaven, more stunned by God's grace than his judgment. Church, when we recognize the horror of sin and how destructive it is and how devastating it really is, we will be amazed at his grace towards us. And that's where our focus lies because, hey, church, we're not left at verses 1 through 3. We're not left at death. We, it, it, the passage continues. Verse 4 is the hinge of this passage and the hinge of all of our hope with two simple words, but God. But God, my friends, but God breaks through the barriers. He breaks through our sin, our shame, our brokenness, our despair, our hopelessness, our addiction to the world, our addiction to following Satan, our addiction to following our own flesh and our desires. But God breaks through all of the nonsense and reconciles us, once enemies, reconciles us to himself. He doesn't just reconcile us to himself, but he calls his friends And he lavishes his grace upon us. I mean, let me read verses 4 through 10 once again. Hear the love here, my friends. Hear this. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. I'm looking at the slides. Help me out. Next slide. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. He says this again, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that we can't boast For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. My friends, do you hear this? In verse 4, love and mercy. In verses 5, 7, and 8, God's grace. In verse 7, kindness, love, mercy, grace, kindness. Do we get this? We were all that God despised. We were enemies of the kingdom. And he lavishes us with this beauty, with his goodness. And he doesn't just give us all these good gifts, but he delights in us. We see that in this verse, verse 10. For we are his workmanship. We are his masterpiece. The direct translation of this is we are his poem. That means God created us and delighted in that creation. He sees this as beautiful, and he invites us to co-create with him. The second part of this passage is beautiful. There are game changers for us that even while we are still sinners, God made us alive with him, and he raised us up. He breathed life into our corpses by dying in our place. The curse on sin that demanded justice, well, guess what? He took it. He satisfied that curse on our behalf. Justice has been served, and now we can live. 
Jesus, church, Jesus is our propitiation, all right? Here's a little theology 101. Propitiation is when Jesus sees us in the way of God's wrath, God pouring out his wrath, and he removes us and puts himself there. And guess what? He doesn't just remove us, but he raises us up. He raises us up, and he seats us in the place of honor. And that's not just when we die. Right now, God recognizes his people in the place of honor. And we are safe and secure there because what is true for Jesus is true for his people. Is that not mind-blowing? Is that not gracious? What is true for our Savior is true for us. His inheritance is our inheritance. His confidence is our confidence. His security is our security. This past week, I read a story about how um, Hindu extremists in India are getting as many Bibles as they can, and they're burning them. But hey, guess what? Like, burn the Bible. Burn the man. But we will continue because we're secure in Christ. Nothing's going to stop us. And the gorgeous reality of it all is that this all is by God's grace. Because dead people can't do something. He can't do things for themselves. It's all by God's grace because of his great love. He's going to continue to lavish us with his grace forever. Don't miss verse 7. Don't miss verse 7. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us. That means eternity for eternity, he is going to show us love, mercy, grace, kindness, love, mercy, grace, kindness, love, mercy, grace, kindness, forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. This is a beautiful thing. Let us not ignore it. But let me wrap this thing up here. Let me wrap it up. Today, right now, right this second, you're in one of two camps. Right this second, you are in one of two camps. It's either you believe that Jesus has saved you, and don't think you're off the hook this morning. Like, don't think you're off the hook this morning. We'll talk in a minute. Or you're in this other camp where you are standing on your own in everything that we just spoke about, giving yourself to the world, giving yourself to whatever is in the air, giving yourself to your own desire, and you know the joylessness that comes with that. It's either you've received what Christ has done for you or not. So let me, let me end by talking to both camps real quick. Number one, Christian, let us revel in this grace that God has given us. Let us revel in the excellences, excellencies of who God is. Because when we know where we come from, We see the beauty of his grace that's lavished upon us. We see it. We see it clearly. And there is really nothing worse than being lukewarm and saying, yeah, we're a Christian. We we follow the Lord and, and not understanding the beauty that's offered to us. But not should we only revel in his grace, but we should also gain some humility from this. God gives us a big old giant get over yourself here. And I, this is for me, too. Like, get over yourself. Hey, hey, Rich, you didn't make yourself. You're not doing what I'm doing. You didn't build your own kingdom. No, I am making something out of you, my friends. Our hope, all of who we are, our goodness is in Christ alone. Church, 
Let us revel in his grace. Let us be humble, knowing that we are on even playing field with even the worst. And also, this calls us, number three, this calls us to mission. If we believe the reality of verses one through three, man, oh man, do we have a mission. If we're not sharing this gospel, we're neglecting the grace that God has given to us. If we're not sharing this truth, then we're saying, you know what, we don't even care. We got it. We're going to be selfish with it. And we aren't living the life that Christ has called us to. I could say that for dang sure. Because his great commission in Matthew 28, guess what? It's for all of us, not for some. Oh, Rich, you're the pastor. This is you. No. It's for all of us. Like in America, the only hindrance we have to sharing the gospel is feeling a little embarrassed. Church, let's revel in his grace. Let's, let's be humble and let's spread this message. And then for the unbeliever in here, the person who doesn't love the Lord and wants nothing to do with him, I want to encourage you today to consider Christ. Consider Jesus. He'll satisfy what you've been looking for. He will take away the nights when you lay your head down on your pillow and you don't, you're like, what is this all about? I don't, I don't get it. I don't even want to live. I, I'm tired of it. He'll give you joy. And that doesn't mean that life won't be tough sometimes. Doesn't mean that you're not still going to feel the, the tangle and the pull of sin. But it means that you will have eternal hope. And not just eternal hope, but a purpose for today. So consider Jesus today.